0: This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Okay, I'm going to be reading Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit.
1: That's going to move to the. Oops, I got a little bit of echo going on. Thank you. Uh, All right, new sound system, right? (laughs) Got to dial it in a little bit. Uh, All this renovation stuff has allowed uh, kind of us over at the office space to build our offices from the ground up. And so it's been kind of cool to, like, design my own space and all the guys have been able to design their own space. And I love, I love my new office. This is kind of some pictures of that. And you walk into my new office, you know, since it's mine, since I kind of had it from day one, you can kind of see a little bit about some of the things that, that are, are very much me. In, in there, you can see <clears> – <throat> it's okay. You'll be able to see, like, a picture of my family is in there. So you walk in right away, you're going to see my family. And I put my family out there because my family is very important to me. As you walk into my office, one of the things I want you to know is I love my family, and they're there for me, and I love that. So so they're there. Uh, there's I got a, a Fort Wayne corner where there's actually a vintage poster of Fort Wayne, a vintage map of Fort Wayne, and then there's these iconic paintings of some of the places that are in Fort Wayne, some of my favorite spots, like Forteza Coffee, and like the landing, which is Utopia Coffee, and all the coffee in Fort Wayne. It's kind of there. And then I actually have a cool... Uh, a cool um, Watercolor painting of what it looks like to sit at Parkview Field and look out at the skyline. It's so cool, and, and, and I've got all those over the years. And I love this city, and so I, I love that. That's that's in there. Of course, I got books, tons of books in my office because I, I love books. Uh, and if I'm like in there, and you come in and you check it out, you're definitely going to hear piano jazz because that's what Jesus would listen to if he were here. And, uh, but that's me. I, just, I love piano, jazz. I love all of that. And so that, that, that's, it's me. And there's just some things that are walking into my office I want you to know about me. And it's true of all the guys, especially Drew. If you walk into our offices right now and you didn't know who was where, you'd be able to say, ah, that's Drew's office. Because it looks like a camp director's office from the 60s. And he loves it. It's all vintage. It's just cool. It's Drew. It's just us. And, and we all do this. You do this. you got spaces that are kind of like yours that you own, and some of you guys have, you know, the man cave, and you walk down there, and your favorite teams are on the walls, Notre Dame, and whatever else, whoever else, whatever the loser team you guys root for that's down there. Uh, and, you know, it's just how we, we love to tell people who we are. We love to proclaim, and we want to be known. We want people to know, this is what I'm like. What's God like? Do you know that God does not want to be a mystery to you? He wants to be known. He wants you to know Him, and He's made Himself known in a lot of ways. Scripture says that the heavens declare the glory of God. There's so much you can learn just from looking at create, a creation and nature. It was pretty cool. My devotions this morning were in Psalm 104 which is all about, like, consider all the things that God has done and how much you can learn about God from all that he's created. And God wants to be known through his creation. God has given us a revelation from his word. He's really declared himself and made himself known through the writing of the Bible, and you can know him. But there's another way in which he really revealed himself to us, and it was probably the perfect way. And that's when Jesus walked the earth. In fact, John 1.18 says this. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. God has made himself known through his son, Jesus Christ. You if there's one thing, one message, one key attribute that God wants you to know, I believe it's this. He is a God who saves. I think the one thing God wants you to know without any shadow of a doubt is that our God is a God who saves. In fact, that's our big idea of the day if you'd write this down. I'm going to prove it to you in the scripture, in our text specifically. Our God is a God who saves and he wants you to know it. He wants you to believe it. He wants you to live in light of the fact that he is a God who will save you when you cry out to him. Our God is a God who saves and he wants you to know it. I hope you had a good Christmas, man. we had an awesome Christmas in the Hart household. Uh, um, I'm going to be honest, man, it's ranking up there some of my top Christmases, primarily because my wife got me the X-Wing miniature game, and you don't judge me, okay? Don't judge me, but a lot of fun. We had a great time, but this whole Christmas season, we always talk about, hey, there's a reason, there's a reason for the season, there's a reason, don't miss Jesus. Well, don't miss this about him. The whole purpose of him becoming a baby and living the life he lived and dying the death he died was so that you could be saved. Our God is a God who saves, and he wants you to know it. Now, I'm gonna give you three proofs from the text. Okay, we're gonna dive into this text. We're gonna do some Bible study this morning and check this out. Here's proof number one that our God is a God who saves. Now I need to pound this in because we're tempted to doubt it. This is not the first time you've heard. We have a God who saves. And our temptation over and over again is to doubt that. Will he save me this time out of this thing? Have I finally messed up enough that God is no longer going to save me? Three proofs that I'll nail this in. Here's one. First of all, it's attested by the miracle, attested by the miracle. Now, I've been fun studying this, and you know that, hopefully you know by now that whenever I study text of Scripture, I always ask, why is this here? What's the main point of the text. What I want to show you in a little bit of Bible study this morning as we dig into this is I think there are kind of two competing ideas that, that might be the main point of the text. As I studied it further, really, it's, it's one idea supported by another really important idea. So I want to show you that in the text by looking at this. First of all, we're going to see this repetition. There's a repetition that happens here that I think is really important, and God wants us to know something. So let's look a back at verse number 18. uh, Verse 18 says this, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now, if you look back, here's what we're coming out of. We're coming out of a genealogy where Matthew says over and over again, and this guy begot this guy, and this guy begot this guy, and this guy begot so-and-so, and on and on and on and on. He begat him, he begat him, all of these human births. But then you get to verse 18, it says this, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way, not the same way. Not someone begetting somebody else. Jesus' birth, Jesus' conception was different. And I think that's one of the main points in our text. The conception of Jesus Christ was different than any before. Let me show it to you. So you got this. Uh, check this out now. So we got verse number 18. It says, this happened this way. Then it goes on to say this. When his mother Mary was betr- had been betrothed to Joseph, do you see how it says, before they came together? So so this is a marriage relationship, and before that uh, intimate, physical relationship happened, that's the point. Before they came together, before this occurred. So there's one time he's pointing out, this is different, this is not normal, this is not Joseph. You can almost write over that phrase, not Joseph. That's the point. It goes on to say, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Second kind of mention of this. So first of all, not Joseph. But from the Holy Spirit, this is different. His conception was different. Keep reading verse number 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Okay, why would he divorce her? Because she was pregnant with a kid that wasn't his. It's third time now this kind of concept is mentioned. This is a different conception. This is not normal. Verse number 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, son of uh, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Why would he be afraid? Why would he fear? Because again, it's not his kid, not Joseph. It's not his. That point is really being nailed down. Do not fear. So that's a fourth time. Uh, Take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Fifth mention now. Of this conception, how different it is! Not Joseph, not Joseph, but the Holy Spirit. And keep going. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. There it is, verse number twenty-three. This is now the sixth mention of this conception and how it was different than any other conception. It is a virgin that conceived. Now. Hold on a second, because we were reading a little bit, and somehow Drew found this quote that he sent to us. It was by um, Ron Bell in Velvet Elvis. Is that the name of the book? Rob Bell. Rob Bell, sorry. Ron Bell was a neighbor of mine in Elkhart. (laughs) He didn't write a book, a a heretical book, but Rob Bell, right? Rob Bell. Okay, he he had this phrase in there where he's like, he's asked all these questions, and one of the questions was, what if we discovered that... The word virgin in Isaiah really didn't mean a woman who had never had relations, but a man. Look, look, look. If it just meant young girl, which is what the argument is, the virgin is just a young girl, what kind of a sign is that? That's not a sign. That's not miraculous. There are literally across the globe right now probably millions of young girls who have babies. That's not miraculous. But this means a woman before those marital relations. So that that's now, again, the sixth time this is mentioned. And then if you look down then at verse number 25, it ends with it. But... Uh, He knew her not, Joseph knew her not, until she had given birth with a son, to make crystal clear, it's not Joseph, it's somebody else. You get the idea? So so a lot of times, now in this text, is mentioned the fact this conception was different. This conception was not human. All these others were human. So-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so. But this was different. This happened this way. God did this. And what Scripture teaches us is that a body was prepared before him. Hebrews 10.5 says this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings uh, you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And the Holy Spirit placed a body inside of Mary, and that body was Jesus' body. And it was not of human origin, but divine origin. Okay, so why is that important? I mean, he emphasizes it over and over and over and over again. Why is that so important? And I think it's important because of the true main idea of the text, and that's found in verse 21. Here it is. She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And here's what you want to underline. For he will save his people from their sins. That's the point. He had a destiny that a mere human could never accomplish. Jesus had a divine destiny. What was that divine destiny? To save his people from their sin. This world needed a savior. This world needed a divine savior. So God sent Jesus in a body prepared for him to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, placed inside of Mary, in order to save us from our sins. God worked the miraculous just to be sure that you and I could be saved. God did the impossible to secure for us an eternal salvation. So you could be saved from my sin. Say it, say it. So I could be saved from my sin. Just say that. So I could be saved. Tell your neighbor so you can be saved from your sin. I just want you to know this This is why he did it. Here's what I'm saying. The importance of the task is measured by the means which will go to accomplish the task. Let me explain what I mean. If I discovered that Courtney had a disease, and she was dying from that disease... And the only way to cure her was to walk to Mexico and back to get her the cure by foot. Do you think I wouldn't do that? Of course I would do that. I would do whatever it would take to be sure I could save her because it's a very important task. And God did a miraculous thing to be sure that you and I could be freed from our sins, forgiven of our sins, so you and I could be saved. That's how important it was to him. Tested by a miracle. God wants to save you. Our God is a God who saved. He also did the humble thing. By experiencing pain. weariness, Hunger. Thirst. All the limitations of a physical body that he never experienced as God. He experienced those things. All to be sure that you and I could be saved. Proof number one, it was attested by a miracle. Now I want to come back again to these truths in just a moment. Let's just keep moving for now. I want to show another proof. That our God is a God who saves, and he wants us to know that. Here is uh, verse number 22. Take a look at this, and when you see another proof, we can look at He says this in verse number 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken, here it is, by the prophet. And he quotes then Isaiah. And he quotes Isaiah when he says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So he got this prophecy from Isaiah, actually chapter 8, a, a chapter before what drew packed for us last week in chapter 9. So here is Isaiah predicting a virgin conceiving. And we know there are all kinds of prophecies of Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. And Isaiah has a lot of them. In fact, Isaiah has this one toward the end of the book. Here's Isaiah 53. You're familiar with this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So the Messiah is going to come. He's going to be afflicted. Why? Well, but he was pierced for church. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for church, our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And read this last uh, sentence with me. And with his wounds, we are healed. You see, even way back here, man, God is saying, I'm sending a Savior. He's going to be crushed for this purpose so that we can be healed from our sins, from our transgressions. We can be healed. And you can go through prophecy after prophecy and, Man, the folks in Jesus' day, they didn't didn't get this. They weren't looking for a savior. It was here. It was in the text. They could have seen he's going to save us from our sin. He's going to heal our transgressions. But they weren't looking for a spiritual savior. They were looking for a conqueror to save them from Rome. You don't need a divine God-man to do that. How many kings came before Jesus and saved them from the captivity of somebody else? Well, this took a special God-man to do this, to conquer sin. It's not just the prophecies that show that our God is a saving God. This is a very familiar verse today, and I want to just show it to you, Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Did you catch it? He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. He saves you. Here is Psalm 20, verse number 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He does what, church? He saves his anointed. He will answer from his holy heaven. He will save them with his mighty right hand. It's all throughout the Bible. Do this. Turn to Psalm 107. I'm going back to Psalm 107. And uh, if you've been into my preaching, you know I've been here before, probably showed you this before, and, and uh, I love repetition. I think repetition is a really good teacher. <clears throat> I think there are going to be times in your life, probably are times, probably have been times, maybe you're in it right now, where you really doubt if God does save or he will save you from this thing you're walking through, from this experience that you're in. Will God really save? And I want you to, in those moments of doubt, I want you to go to Psalm 107. <clears throat> I want you to know it so well that you know how to go back to Psalm 107. I want you to see several verses that are here in Psalm 107 that I hope will bring you incredible encouragement. First of all, look at verse number 1. I will give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who he has redeemed from trouble. And then it tells all these stories. But I want you to see this repeated verse. Look at verse number 6. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And read, whenever this phrase comes up, I want you to read this with me. So, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Read it with me again. And he delivered them from their distress. Whenever that comes up, read that part with me. So then I want you to jump to uh, verse uh, number um, 13. Let's look at verse number 13. <clears throat> then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Read it again. And he delivered them from their distress. There it is again in verse number 13. Okay, So, at verse number 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Read it with me. And he delivered them from their distress. we I not done yet? Take a look at verse number 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Here it is again. And he delivered them from their distress over and over and over and over again. Hey, when you cry out to God, what will he do, church? To your learning. See what repetition can do. Do you believe it? Today, for you? This time, this circumstance, this situation, this thing you're walking through, this sin, again and again and again and again, same thing. Gotta keep falling the same stupid thing over and over again. Will God really forgive? Well when you ask for help, when you cry to him, what will he do again? And he delivered them from their distress. In fact, one more. I'm pounding this into your heads. Here's uh, another verse. I was reading in Nehemiah. We do um, staff devotions together. And uh, this week, this was our staff devotions in Nehemiah uh, chapter 9, verse number 28. And when you to see it here. Check this out. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like us? We get in trouble. We cry out to God. He saves us. We get into easy street again, kind of easy mode, and we fall back in the same stuff we do, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemy so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your uh, mercies. This is our God. This is our God. He saves you over and over and over again, and he wants you to know when you cry out to him when you're in trouble, our God is a God who saves. Okay, uh, uh, let's pretend, if you were going to write a book, what would you write? What kind of book would you write? I I, I got this idea in the back of my head, I got a couple of them. One idea, I want to write a book called When Church Hurts. And I want to write that book because so many people experience hurt in the church. And our temptation when we experience church hurt is to run from the church and to turn from the church. And I'm wondering how many of you have experienced, like, legitimate church hurt, and what do you do with that? I love to write a book helping people walk through going to the gospel, believing in the church again, believing in God again, and finding healing from that. I'm passionate about that because I see it a lot. So I'm going to write what I'm passionate about. That's one idea. The other idea is of a pastor who finds an ancient spaceship, and he gets in it and then saves the universe with his laser sword. That's the other idea that I have. So two... We'll see which one comes out first. We, we, we write what we're passionate about. And God has said, and he's written in the Old Testament over and over again, I am a God who will deliver you. I am a God who saves. I am a God who saves. I am a God who saves. Our God is a God who saves, and he wants you to know it. And just in case it's not crystal clear yet, let's look at one more proof. And then I want to get to some of the things here, but I want to look at this, this last proof. So you have uh, attested by miracles, spoken by the prophets, and then this, confirmed in his name, confirmed in his name. And I want you to let your eyeballs fall on verse number 21 again. Here's verse number 21. And she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name. What does your Bible say? For he will save his people from their sins. You know what Jesus means? Think about this. This is crazy. This is crazy. God knew he was going to become a man. He planned this from the foundation of the world. He knew this was going to come. And he could choose any name he wanted to choose for himself. I mean, naming is really important. Like, we, we've named all of our kids, obviously. And, uh, but that was a big deal, right? Think about you leading up to the birth of your first child. How much would you talk about that name you were going to give that child? And we talked about all kinds of names. I, I, I wanted, like, if it was a girl, I wanted Jessica, like, really bad. Why? I think it's a cool name, and I don't want to call a, you know, a girl Jess. I think it would be really cool to call a girl Jess, say Jess. Yeah, but um, uh, Courtney had some really bad experiences with Jessicas. Now, she said, she said last week, not that Jessica's in our church. I was like, well, that's good. That's good. So if your name Jessica, great. Uh, but uh, she's had in her past, so like Jessica's not going to happen. Patrick, for the same reason. Like we're not going to, I mean, Patrick's are great. Not the Patrick's that we've experienced, though. So, you know, we're not going to do that. So we, we, we prayed, and we thought, and we chose, you know, Grant as a name. Grant means grand, and so we thought that would be really cool and kind of a noble. Grant Alexander is a noble name, and then Courtney loved the name Landon, so we chose that. And, and uh, so, you know, we, we just put a lot of time and effort and thought into the names, and God put a lot of time and effort and thought, eons, of what he was going to be named. If you could pick your name, what would you pick? What name would describe you, who you are? By the way, I got dibs on Jamie Skywalker. But for you, what would you pick? God said, here's the name I want for my son. God saves. That's what Joshua is. Uh, Sorry, uh, Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua. And Joshua is Hebrew for Yahweh saves. His very name means I save. I save. That's what I do. That's who I am. Are you getting the picture? Do you see why the big idea is the big idea? Our God is a God who saves, and he wants you to know it. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about four implications from all these truths. I know there's a lot of study. It was a lot of of Bible study. But now I want to get to some implications that I think we need for this morning. Here's implication number one. I want you to write this down. Our sin is worse than we tend to believe. We call it mistakes. We say, I was just tired. It's what all men do. You think I'm bad? You got to see my brother. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And we push back against the weight of what our sin really means. No, no, our sin, your sin, my sin, was so bad. It took the miraculous to clean my record. It took God himself coming to earth in order to save me. It's more than a mistake. It's more than something that can just be excused easily. And I have to keep hitting this nail because you are surrounded by the message that you're pretty awesome and you're pretty good. And if we can all just believe more in ourselves and all of that and, and believe that we're just incredible, then we're going to get by. And In fact, we were watching this show, and I think it was a Hallmark Christmas show, and no, most of them are just epically good, okay? They're fantastic. So uh, no question about that at all. <laughs> Uh, But this particular one had this woman. She said this. She said, look in the mirror, and I want you to look in the mirror and tell yourself, you are the most important person in the universe, and you go live for that person. And I'm telling you, the world just sops it up with a biscuit, and they love that idea. But what I'm telling you this morning is the opposite is true. Now, it gets better. There's good news coming. But to get to the good news, we have to understand this. Our sin is really bad. Our sin damned us to hell. And to pay for the sin, it took Jesus coming to earth. So here, here's an action that I want you to walk away with this Christmas season. I want you to say this our sin is really our sin is worse than we tend to believe. So what's the action coming out of this? Here it is. Repent. Repent. Don't excuse. And this is like now. All of these implications have a first time and repeated time in our lives. Now, I believe once saved, always saved. I believe that that when you really truly believe that Jesus died for your sin and rose again, like I did when I was 12 years old, man, that thing was sealed in heaven for all eternity. So there was that moment of repentance where I, I, my position before God was corrected by the gospel. But then there's my living my life and the actions that I actually live. So there's my salvation, then there's my sanctification. And do you know that repentance is a needed action all the time in our lives? Not to keep you saved, but to keep close to the Lord, and to keep right with other people. We need to repent of our sin. To your spouse? Why are those words so hard to say? I was wrong. <laughs> Just say it with me. Let's practice this morning. Say it. I was wrong. Turn to your wife, husbands, and tell her <laughs> you were wrong. No, don't tell her that. Don't tell her that. Don't tell her that. You know what's a sin when you can pen a verse to it. I disobey God's word here. And when that happens, we need to, what's the action? Repent. Okay. Implication number two. We are wholly unable to save ourselves. We are wholly unable to save ourselves. The Bible is clear in Titus 3.5 when it says this. He saved us, not because of our works, our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the Holy Spirit. Not by works, not by us. You don't save yourself. You can't do it. Maybe for the first time you're hearing this and you've been told all your life that you have to be good enough. You have to go to church. You have to do this. You have to do that. And hopefully when you die, God's more happy with you than He is frustrated and then you get to heaven. Well, that's not at all what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is that there's nothing you can do, you can't possibly get there on your own. You cannot work your way to heaven. But the Bible also says He gave Jesus to save you from your sins. And He did it all for you, He died in your place. And when you believe by faith and call on him to save you, what does he do again? Saves us. Kind of the point of the whole message today. That's what he does. That's what he does over and over again. True the day you were saved. Kind of get a witness. And you loved it. And you needed it. Is the same true this week? Look at Colossians 2.6 where it says this. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. It's the way you started it. It's the way you keep it going. In other words, my sanctification isn't even completely reliant upon my shoulders. Get this, church. This is important now. My sanctification is not completely reliant upon my shoulders. Because we hear this growing up. We get the idea that, yes, you were saved by faith uh, through grace and not of yourselves. But now it's time to pick yourself up by the bootstraps to get more disciplined, to get this down, to quit being an idiot and start living the Christian life right. We get that idea someplace. That's not what the Bible teaches. Should there be effort? Can I get a witness? Absolutely. Uh, but who does the work? Who does the work? let me prove it to you biblically. Here's Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So church, who does the work? God does. Now, okay, what the heck does that look like tomorrow then, right? (laughs) Because I'm going to have to be faced with all kinds of temptations. And I'm going to have all kinds of choices about what I'm going to do with my walk. And if it feels like me, it feels like me making those decisions, here's what I want to tell you, one thing you can learn from this. More prayer, church. More prayer. More you trying to figure out that new plan for the new year where finally you're going to be the Christian you've always wanted to be. You can just get up every morning at 6 a.m., I'm going to pray for a half hour, I'm going to read my Bible for a half hour before I shower, and that will last for a week. Then you get up at 6 a.m., hit the snooze button 15 times, right? Less, less work, more of this. God, change me. God, save me. I am telling you straight up, when I began to do more prayer and less work, God began to really change me because it was really him in the first place. God, I don't want to be this kind of a man anymore. I, I want to be more disciplined. I want to be better at all these things. God, would you change me? Would you change me? Now, I can't say the next morning I woke up and I'm like, Mo, there it is. Holy Jamie, finally he's arrived in his perfection. Didn't happen that way, but over time, God has grown me more by me crying out to him and relying on him. It's all by prayer. So here's the action yes, number one, our sins are worse than we believe. Repent. Number two, we are wholly unable to save ourselves. Rely, rely on him, rely on him. I got to get cooking here. Number three. Y'all want to go play with your Star Wars game, I know. So number three, let's get to it. God is not reluctant to save you. Implication number three, God is not reluctant to save you. He's eager to save you. We get this idea. We do. We get this idea of God. Like he's in heaven, like, oh, no, here's Jamie again. Gosh darn it. No, I saw when you screwed up last week, but I saw that. You're coming to me and asking for forgiveness again, really? Really? keep doing it. You keep screwing up. Why are you back here asking for forgiveness again? I want to tell you, the God we often imagine in our heads is vastly different than the God we see in the Bible. Because our God is not reluctant to save you. He's eager. He's not irritated when you come to him. If he could be irritated and our Heavenly Father can't, it would be because you don't come to him. Remember over and over again, the Bible says this in Psalm 107, Uh, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, read it with me again, and he delivered them from their distress over and over and over again. Can I tell you once again, Zephaniah 317, the Lord is in your midst, a mighty one to save. He wants to save you. He longs to save you. Look at this. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you. This is our God. So often the God we picture in our minds is vastly different than the God we see in the Bible. This is our God. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing, yes, you're a wretched sinner, but in God's eyes, you're precious. And God loves you. I've heard some pushback on this verse lately. Like, oh, that verse is so cheesy. All oh, that verse is so wishy-washy and really. It's a verse in the Bible. <laughs> that means it's true. And our God does rejoice over us with singing. He does quiet us with his love. He longs to save you. He's not reluctant. He's eager. So here's the action coming out of that. God isn't reluctant to save you. He's eager. So here's what we do. We rest. We rest. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. and I will give you, church, rest. Our God wants to give you a rest and he wants you to draw into him and find his love and then lastly this implication and adam would you come well we might have time we'll see come on up here and we'll just play it by ear we ain't got no service after this uh there is reason for great joy i mean think about all of these things how true they are man do you worry about the future I mean, seriously, come on, just to be honest, it's you and I, it's just us, so just get real with me. Do you sometimes worry about the future? What's going to happen? If you're going to be okay? If my kid's going to be okay? If all these things are going to be okay? Well, well here, here's what I want to tell you this morning. If you find yourself in trouble and you cry out to God, what will he do? We read it over and over again. What will he do? Deliver you. Now, maybe not the way you want him to or in his... Your timing oftentimes is his timing, (laughs) but he's a God who rescues. He's a God who saves, and what you can do is you can look to the future, and you can say, ah, he will always be this way. He is immutable. He is unchanging, and my God will always be a God who saves me when I cry out to him, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice in that. And what I want you to do is have an opportunity just to sing that joy, sing that rejoicing out to God this morning. So I'm going to pray, and then we're singing. But Here's what I want you to leave with, man. Take these implications, these four things. And I know some of you are like, well, that's the gospel. Yes, it is. And we need gospel reminders over and over and over and over again. Don't downplay your sin. Own your sin. But acknowledge the fact that you have a God who... When you're unable to save you, he is eager to save you. And because he's eager to save you, man, you can rejoice and have joy in your life every day. Live the gospel daily. It's a powerful thing. So, Father, we just thank you for all those truths. We thank you, Father, for this text, this very common text that has, when you dig down and study it, one clear message that you want us to know, you save us. And I pray this morning that our church this morning would rejoice in that. And live a life this week rejoicing in the salvation we can find in you. We ask this in Jesus' name.